Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special bonus edition of Two Girls, One Book Pod. With a difference, because we are four girls, one book <laughs> pod today. See what I did there? Um, yeah, so very exciting. We have guests today. Um, so along with me and Hannah, we have Emma and we have Flo, who are our new besties from Bookstagram. We always talk about Bookstagram with great fondness. Um, and I it, I spend far too much time on it. But, you know, we've got some good relationships out of it. So uh, maybe Emma and then Flo, you can just say like who you are a little bit. Like yeah, you're in school. Hi. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. It's really exciting. So yeah, my name's Emma. I am um, on Bookstagram at Bookmarked Beers. Um, and yeah, I think I saw you share something actually. Someone called you Bookstagram Royalty. And that's how I feel. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the podcast. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> Better just polish off my crown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suits you. <laughs> Um, yeah, hi, I'm Flo, um, Flo and her book, um, and yeah, like Emma said, it's so weird, because obviously I talk to you guys every day, but being on your podcast is just like a whole other level of starstruck, so yeah, I'm so <laughs> <laughs> loving being here, thank you so much for having us on, I think, yeah, Emma and I were so excited, so yeah. Yay, good. Um, we're all a bit scared, because I mean, I, I'm a bit scared at the prospect of having to edit all of this together and the technology involved um and i know that you guys were a bit dubious about that side of things as well like recording four people and putting it all together and it all like working is uh no mean feat so if you're hearing this then it worked if, you, if you're not then it didn't <laughs> oh dear. so we're here because we did a little buddy read together um, and I think Hannah's going to do a little bit of a, an introduction and synopsis to the book that we read because we always forget the blimmin' synopsis. <laughs> so, right, go. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we kind of felt like the book that we'd read deserved more than just a five, ten minute quick rush through on a short stories episode. Um, the book that we read is The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. And firstly, we should say that this is not going to be a spoiler free episode not least because we're talking about a sequel. So it's kind of impossible for us to talk about the things that happen without spoiling things that happen in the first book. So The Testaments is sequel to um, The Handmaid's Tale, which was written in the 80s. In the first book, we're introduced to the totalitarian patriarchal theocracy that is the Republic of Gilead. Boo hiss. And in The Testaments, um, it tells the story of the kind of the building and then the eventual breaking of the regime. Um, it's told through three separate but intertwining accounts of the events that lead to the downfall of the Republic. And we're here to give our brief thoughts and feelings. Great. Very good. They don't have to be that brief today. No. We keep saying brief <laughs> thoughts and feelings when we have like 12 books to talk about in the space of an hour. We have to power through. Um so they can be long and meandering thoughts and feelings if you want. Great. Um, they're my favourite yeah. kinds. I'm really glad you said that it's not going to be spoiler free because I was oh, trying yeah. to write notes and I was like, it's really hard actually to try and talk yeah. about it without spoiling anything. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, just switch off if you <laughs> if you don't want it spoiled. <laughs> um, and like we've said before, you have to come back, download it. And then come back and listen to it when you've read it. Um, Fab, so what do we all think? I loved it. It was amazing. I think, I mean, for me personally, I think the How the Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments written were completely different. I mean, going into the Testaments, I really tried not to compare it to the Handmaid's Tale. And I think as well, quite a lot of people that I spoke to about who had read both already said how different it was and how nothing was the same. So originally going into it, I was like, hey, don't compare it, don't compare it. But you can't not. Um, and I think with The Handmaid's Tale, it, for me, it kind of, you struggled sometimes to see where you were. Are you in the past? Are you in the future? Are you in the present? However, 
the three-way point of view in the testaments i loved i love a i love a multiple point of view anyway um and yeah just the way it was written for me i yeah i enjoyed it so much more and it was so much easier to follow and yeah i just loved it i wrote notes about the difference in the hammer's tale and um this one and I didn't know whether it was something to do with also the kind of the times that they were written. Obviously, one was written in the 80s where she was offered in the first one was kind of a passive voice. She didn't really kind of actively do anything with even her escape was kind of accidental. Um, but that kind of stronger female voice and female narration, I really felt from this one, which I enjoyed more than The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. I agree. I always love a multiple um, point of view. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And I really felt like I was being like let in on a secret. Like I'd come across these testaments and like I was finding out for the first time. And then I felt a bit silly when it got to the final chapter about, I think it was the 13th symposium or something, where we obviously had that clue in The Handmaid's Tale that they have that afterwards. And it's like a hundred odd years later, looking back at all these kind of evidence we have of what happened in Gilead. And I was like, oh yeah, like we're meant to be reading it as an avid historian, but I just felt like I was being let in on a secret. Um, I think that just shows how like embedded I was in the book. I just couldn't put it down. I thought it was brilliant. Great. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, 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 (laughs) I feel like everyone's going to say everything great and then I'll just be like, yeah, what they said. (laughs) Um, No, I totally agree. I, love multiple point of views i just in anything that i read i i like to just to hear different opinions mm. um i i don't like going down one avenue because i feel i don't know makes me feel a bit like awkward if i don't agree with that <laughs> um so yeah i i really i really enjoyed it as well great so we we have uh some Again, handy discussion points at the back of the book, which I'm sure we've all made notes on and like got things to say about. Um, but I don't know where where you want to start. Hannah, do you have you got what have you got oh, to I, start with? Go on. I feel like we should just start with number one, which was mm-hmm. it deals with Seems the kind like of <laughs> multi- place to start. Well, no, but because it's it deals with the multiple nar- narratives, yes. and we, obviously we've just kind of touched on that. Yeah. Um. The discussion point asks, what effect did the multiple narration have on your understanding of the world that's being described? Um, I I had written that um, particularly Nicole's point of view kind of gave that added view of the outside that you didn't get in The Handmaid's Tale. The idea that the whole world hadn't stopped and gone mental. It was still, I mean, it was a little bit odd still, but it was still kind of functioning in a semi-normal way. Um, yeah, I, um, I liked the ideas that it was from somebody who'd grown up in it, somebody who'd founded it and somebody who was an outsider. I did really enjoy, um, um, who, who was your favorite, um, narrator? Uh, Lydia, although I hated her. I completely agree. I liked reading her bits most. I felt like she was the most kind of... Um, I don't know kind of well obviously intelligent that's the other thing is that she's an educated woman who's been brought in from outside originally so she has a different way of speaking which is much easier to read and understand but I hated her with a passion <laughs> that's so interesting I, I really I really loved her <laughs> <laughs> do you know what someone actually commented because I posted my review today and someone commented saying um, it totally changed my perception of Lydia and now I really like her and I was like I completely disagree and I'm really interested to see what the people because I said I'm having a discussion tonight about it and I'm interested to see what other people think because yeah I I didn't like her <laughs> oh that's so interesting I love her I think the thing that I I um I felt an affinity because I, when I was reading these discussion points that um and what's the one that says like do you like Lydia number four. Oh yeah number, number four, four yeah. oh yeah one of the three voices it belongs to aunt lydia a cruel and murderous enforcer of the totalitarian state's code did i feel any sympathy towards her by the end of the book i liked her at the beginning <laughs> 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 i was just like was, was i not meant to um i think i really i really appreciate it's like her dry humor 
in the face of just horrendousness um and i think that's probably what what drew me to her and i was kind of thinking what would i do in in her position and i probably would have played the long game rather than like making a fuss and then just getting killed straight away um so i think that's why i i liked her sense of humor and i thought she was savvy so i can there you go that's my reasoning I agree, Rhiannon. I When I was reading it, I thought, what would I have done if I was in her situation? Now, I neither loved her nor hated her, but I could kind of understand where she was coming from a lot of the time. So maybe... Is, is that me loving her? I didn't hate her, so maybe I did love her. But um, <laughs> But like you say, she was very clever and she really did know what she was doing. And I think having that sort of insight isn't something that you really get in a lot of books and understanding why she was doing what she was doing and then like the sort of relationship that she had with commander judd for example as well um i mean yeah like you said she really did play the long game and i think i respected her more for that rather than yeah like you say and just kind of getting yeah. killed at the beginning and just getting pulled into this well that's that's the thing like i i completely respect people who make a big fuss make a scene and like do the whole protest thing and i can i mean you can definitely still take events from what what's going on today and join those things together can't you like it's not that dissimilar and from the back of the book everything that she wrote about was like based on true events basically wasn't it yeah um but yeah i don't know i just i think because we read about how Gilead came about and like what her role was from the very start, she was very protective of the girls in whatever instance she could be. So she was she made herself as useful as as she was possible for her to be in order to create some sort of safety net for the girls. I don't know. It's uh yeah a very tricky position to be put in I, I wouldn't have enjoyed it to myself um but I think I would have gone about it a similar sort of way mm. yeah I it's funny because I put the exact opposite in my notes so I really, I liked hearing her perspective I really, really enjoyed that she was my favorite to read um but I didn't feel any sympathy for her and I felt like it was self-preservation and that just perpetuated the whole patriarchy and the regime and women suffering and I, I'd literally written, I'd like to think I'd rebel and be killed rather than submit to that regime. So, you know, when right at the beginning, she's talking about um, when they're in those sackcloths and they line women up and they have to shoot them. And that's to prove their um, yeah. alliance to the regime. And one of them turned around and shot one of the guardians instead. And I was like, yes, I feel like that's what I would do. Same. Which isn't, it's, it's very <laughs> short sighted. It doesn't change anything. It's all going to carry on. Um, but yeah that's what I wrote and interestingly um, when I was like reading around it today um, Margaret Atwood had compared Aunt Lydia to Ivanka Trump um, because she was quite high up in the Trump administration and they obviously went back on the whole what was it US um, Roe versus Wade legislation around abortion Um, and she was she was in the administration that made that decision, which is so anti-feminist, it infuriates me. Um, yeah. And yeah, and then when I read that, it made me hate her even more. I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, Emma, <laughs> I am absolutely here with you. I wrote, she's self-serving, exactly that. And then I'd written, I'm going to be really harsh because of course, why wouldn't I be? Uh, I still can't like her. There's a special place in hell for women who are complicit <laughs> in the oppression of other women for whatever reason. <laughs> Yes. So, so Aunt Lydia yeah. and Ivanka Trump, get get down to hell. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll I'll go I'll go and join them, shall? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> off, off I go. I mean, That's interesting I, though. I think it's obviously a blown out of proportion kind of super like one end of the spectrum, but I do think that she was, and that's kind of why I felt like it was a little bit of a cop out at the end. I also wrote that I. I almost would have felt better if she'd been caught by the regime, tortured, killed, um, not for the kind of sadistic reasons, but because 
that would have almost proven her loyalty more. I felt like it was a cop-out for her to be like, oh, and now I'm just going to go and kill myself. I felt like the whole arc of her story was very self-serving and not not really one of helping and, and wanting to kind of further the feminist cause. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, I did find it quite interesting. I don't, know where, I don't know how I found this out. I think I looked whilst I was reading it. But the book that she hides her testaments in, Cardinal Newman's book, um, which is Apologia Pro Vita Sua, is a real book. And its literal translation is an apology for one's own life. So I, d- I, don't, I don't know whether she'd looked back and thought, what have I done? But 15 years is a bloody long time to have to realise that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, time goes... Time is a funny thing when you're in, like, a, a, a weird situation. Like, the last year has definitely shown that. Like, I don't feel like the last year's been a year. So I can un- understand yeah. that that might... Yeah. play a part in it when you're cut off from real life and the outside world yeah, yeah i get that very very interesting the, gl- the gloves are off mm-hmm. um, and my dogs are barking again um, divide very early on yeah i literally wrote it wrote in my review um today because I, I was writing my review i've not posted it yet uh that i i love aunt lydia <laughs> I don't think I'd ever dare say that. (laughs) I'm totally loving it. I'm. It's a discussion point. I totally love her. But yeah, I think it's just because she's so dry. Yeah, I did appreciate that, and I appreciated that she was very clearly a very intelligent woman. Um, I like that side of it, but um, I think there was one quote that I highlighted where she said that all was all that was necessary was a law degree and a uterus, and I highlighted that and was like, yeah, okay. It's the scariest thing to men is is a woman with an education. She's acknowledged that, and yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know. I can't say I didn't hate her, but I understood her as a reason, and I thought it was very clever the use of the women in terms of fa- founding Gilead, because yeah. who better to understand the way to break a woman, other than another woman? They know the yeah. the ways to kind of keep keep women down and know the weak points more than more than men do um i understood that and i i like that kind of element of understanding how gilead came to be yeah yeah i'm shocked <laughs> i thought everyone was gonna be like yeah aunt lydia's great <laughs> apparently not i'm sure you can find an aunt lydia fan club somewhere in the deep depths of hell <laughs> <laughs> you and ivanka trump yeah <laughs> Do you want to pick a different one? <laughs> a different discussion point? <laughs> Move away gonna... from Aunt Lydia. <laughs> I'm just going to pick a different book. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any kind of unanswered questions from The Handmaid's Tale at the end of this book? Was there anything that you didn't feel was answered? Yeah, I think I think there were there were still things that were very hazy and grey, weren't there? Like, the journey that offered like what actually happened to her yeah yeah from the end of handmaids to the end of testaments uh i mean we we don't really know do we um, but i quite like that i enjoyed the fact that there was definitely a lot of uh gray areas because I think it would be too easy to just wrap everything up in a little bow and like this is everything that happened there's still a load of stuff that mm. there's still loads of stuff that I would like to know but I don't I don't think she's going to write a third one is she I haven't heard that she is we can can we petition her to write <laughs> yeah. a third one? um for that discussion point I literally wrote yes what was she doing for 15 years <laughs> because there wasn't really any mention of her but that did not take away at all i wasn't bothered at all that I wasn't mentioned i just thought it was mm. fab what it did cover was amazing i, th- I wrote yeah. yes where is offred <laughs> um and i think we're meant to guess where offred was and i know that i'd said in the group chat that like i feel like i'm expecting her to pop up at any moment and then she never did and she never did and i guess that that's purposeful um, I think she's definitely the girl's mum. It would yeah. be yes. too yeah. weird for her not to be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't think that she was particularly needed. I just 
I just wanted to know where where she'd been and what she'd been doing. Yeah, I was. I mean, I'd mentioned to to you guys about hearing more um, from like the male perspective uh, in Gilead. But there's so many other viewpoints that I want to hear. I'd love to hear more uh, from like Mayday operatives within Gilead as well. I'd love to know how that went down. Um, and yeah, maybe the the men in the lower ranks as well as a commander um i just think that that side of things would be absolutely fascinating to sort of see a bit more behind the scenes i guess we we had a little bit of that um in the handmaids we we found out a bit more about the commander uh then didn't we but yeah i think it would give maybe more more of a balanced view i think it you kind of it's so easy to to be like oh in this book the men are the enemy but i've read yeah. all sorts of kind of um comparisons to um the nazi regime where it's the people those the men who are within those ranks don't necessarily all hold those beliefs yeah. fully and wouldn't necessarily act in those ways had it not been for almost a self-preservation for them as well it's not about kind of pointing the finger at all men and saying that all men are this there is elements of course of people kind of having to look after themselves and i would like to hear voices of the men who don't necessarily agree with what they're doing and do they question it and do they feel guilt over it and i feel like that would be quite interesting to to hear yeah so there we go we need that book please margaret (laughs) just the men (laughs) get like a member of the eyes in there i think that would be cool yes and also one of the Econa wives, and I don't know, are they called Econa men? I can't remember what the male version's called, but we don't really know anything about those. All I know is they wear stripy clothes. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> it's good to know about the outfits. We always... Yeah. Uh, very yeah. important. It's, it is very important. <laughs> we, we know that here. Well, that's one of the things that I wrote is um, the the kind of class side of it. This this book is very much from the point of view of the higher class of, of mm. women, there's the aunt, there's the commander's daughter who then becomes an aunt, and then there is this almost sanctified baby Nicole. There isn't a point of view, a witness testimony from anybody who isn't an elite, so to speak. And the thing that I noted particularly in that the end notes was that Offred, who was a handmaid and of a lower social standing, her story wasn't believed at the end, but there is a moment where it's discussed at the symposium that these we are likely to believe that these are true. Well, why would one be believable and the other one not if it's not a system mm. of kind of a question of class? So yeah. hearing from one of the lower classes, I think, would have also been interesting. Although I did relate that to the Me Too movement, because when one woman says something, they're automatically not believed, and it takes a multitude of women mm-hmm. for society to believe something is true, which is disgusting. But that's again one of the things that you know I would say you didn't write anything that isn't already set as precedent in history that's already happened, and that again is one of those things. Yeah, that's one of the discussion points. Was um, yeah, what does it say? Did your reading of the book make you think about the Me Too movement in a different light? I don't know. Did it? I've got notes on this. I don't. <laughs> I don't really know what light I think of the Me Too movement. Me neither. Yeah, I so, agree with that. It's Because uh, we discussed this a little bit in our Evelyn Hugo episode. If you haven't listened to that, then you should. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, just, oh, I don't know. Go on, Hannah, read all your notes. <laughs> um, well, no, I wrote... My immediate answer to the question was, I didn't see it in a different light, but I think I saw it in a brighter light. I saw it as a kind of warning of what could happen if we don't speak up and say things and and fight for the change and fight for equality and women's rights particularly um i think that we our generation are kind of at the forefront of this almost female revolution that it's not that we're not that we've not seen it because as we learn every day, we've all, most of us, experienced it in some way. So it's not like we were sitting here with our eyes closed. We've known it existed, we've just not spoken about it. Um, I feel like it was more of a kind of shining the light on what happens if you don't speak up, rather than kind of changing my opinion on it. 
no and i agree and i think that because i feel like the handmaid's tale very much was like a warning of what could happen and i think in general the testaments is much more a book of hope but there is still that underlying you what you still need to watch out because there's still all of this sexual discrimination classism all of these themes running through it still even with that ultimate theme of hope so yeah it's just you've got to put these two things together and think how as women can we come together and be stronger and be more powerful to fight yeah i think it's that it's not a case of us understanding that it's not okay we always knew that it's not okay it's just that we hadn't understood the kind of power of harnessing a joint voice to be able to go hey actually we're all thinking this and now we say it together and it's somehow now got clout um i think it's an important message i think it came just at the right time the book obviously i think the handmaids on the streets of ireland kind of that was all protesting the abortion laws and things wasn't it it was definitely a kind of a visual as well for people to grasp and go this is where we could end up if we don't stop like i think it is important and on that happy note (laughs) (laughs) goodbye (laughs) this next one i wasn't sure about um the she presents us with a parallel uh world in Gilead but there are also frightening differences such as widespread birth defects and food shortages what do we think has caused those conditions <laughs> well my immediate thing was oh maybe it's like climate change and how we're treating the planet but then I was like well actually the the de- the birth defects only happen in Gilead right it's not everywhere because that wasn't spoken about in Canada yeah. Yeah. So I was a bit confused because it does seem concentrated just to Gilead rather than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. I wasn't really sure I... about it. And I don't know whether it was to do with that the first book was written in the 80s at a time where there was a little bit, not more fear about climate change, because obviously we're, we're still even more so aware of it now. But I don't know whether that's something that she lent on in the first book to very much make a kind of political point in terms of the climate. But then she had to continue in this one when we went out of Gilead. I think because she mentions she mentions in the first one pollution and the nuclear it's like nuclear power fallouts and things like that. All of which in the 80s was really kind of big and scary. Mm. I don't know whether it's that it's just kind of a, a layover from the first book that maybe wasn't really relevant to the second book. I don't know. I wasn't sure. Yeah, I was wondering whether there was anything to do with like medical provisions and like vaccinations and all of that kind of Mm. thing as well um like the health of of mother the mothers the handmaids or whatever during pregnancies as well i don't know like i I don't know enough about that side of the medical side of things like what causes it but I guess that kind of the idea of the supply chain of things getting into Gilead as well that's a kind of it's a method of oppression from from the outside to Gilead but also then once it once the food is in Gilead or the medicine is in Gilead the commanders and the people in charge are in control of who gets it who dishes it out distribution Um, yeah I questioned at first whether it was um particularly the birth defects was to do with kind of the inbreeding is an awful word to use but then that question was very quickly kind of cut out when they did the but the records of the families and things where they were ensuring that there wasn't that kind of inter-family breeding (laughs) it's an awful word to use (laughs) (laughs) but that's kind of what i saw them as is that particularly the handmaids they're not like women who have babies for kind of love and relationships that they want to bring a family into the world they're used as breeding mares almost it's it, that's the only word to use for it i think is breeding but yeah i did question whether it was to do with that but then she very yeah. quickly shot me down on that one okay so the answer is we don't know <laughs> <laughs> not <a> clue <laughs> fair enough fair enough right what's your next one hannah um i th- the interesting one which i wrote more notes than i thought i would have done was why do you think that she called it the testaments oh, great question and originally, I kind of wrote, read that question and went, oh, that's a bit of a boring question. And then when I really thought about it, I was like, actually, when you consider it against the name of the first book, 
I feel like it was a very definite decision that she made in terms of the rhetoric that that makes you think. It immediately makes you think of proof and truth and and kind of actual facts, whereas a tale is a story. It's something that you don't necessarily see as re- reality. Mm. Um, and obviously we've touched upon the kind of relationship with the Me Too movement, but the testimonies of women having power to take down the patriarchy um i feel like it's an it's an incredibly powerful singular word which evokes a lot of gravitas i agree it just when you hear testaments it reminds me of like the last will and testament so to me it was like that's what they wanted to be remembered and it was kind of a hope that it wouldn't be repeated that we can like learn from these mistakes yeah i went on a huge spiral with this one (laughs) so firstly (laughs) um so we got two witnesses that are narrating this book and as a witness you were giving a testimony when you were when you were talking and then the other part part of it i thought of is the old and new testament and in gilead it is very much very christian nicole gets told off copious amounts of time in the book for using god's name in vain so there's also that side of it as well so it just seems that the testaments general has so many meanings behind it um and i just thought that was great i didn't write anything to that question <laughs> <laughs> i was just like it's, it's just the testimonies of three women that's why <laughs> i i didn't question it at all uh, but you all make very interesting points so i'm finding this interesting to listen to if nobody else is <laughs> i feel like she must have been aware of of the anticipation of the novel coming out and and how much people had waited for it and wanted it that she must have put so much more thought into the naming of this book than she did the first one. The first one is almost a kind of throwaway, oh, it's a story that The Handmaid told, self-explanatory. I don't believe that she would have just named this one anything. She's definitely thought about it and the multiple connotations of the, the words, the testaments. Um, I, yeah, I, quite, I like it makes me feel like I'm it almost does make me feel like I'm reading something real it feels more historical like this is an actual textbook (laughs) um yeah which I guess is the point of it that's what it's meant to be you're supposed to feel like it's real these are real stories from real women and they could be (laughs) did you read that the section at the back well I presume you did with all of the different uh things that she she used all the like quoted articles and stuff like yeah. that yeah oh it's so scary <laughs> i didn't i was reading it i was like i don't think i really want to be reading this because <laughs> when she says but like everything's based on like articles that i've seen and things that i've read about yeah mad I think one of the the real life things which kind of touched me the most was the idea of women um, being denied access to information and education and knowledge, yeah. which obviously is an is an incredibly heinous <laughs> heinous practice that goes on all the time across the across the world, um, and the idea that just having that access to information gives you the power to kind of choose what you want to do and where you want to go, and that that's being denied to them i just think is it's a powerful reminder of of the state of things across the world now for young women and the privilege that we have as white women in a in a first world country who've got access to great education systems we've obviously all benefited from those we've we've got access to all of that knowledge um yeah i think that's sobering to think about Yeah, I think I also wrote wrote down just on that point, because I think this is more about culture and power rather than religion, even though it's obviously a lot of theocracy and there is religion throughout the book, because I know, Flo, you've read A Woman Is No Man. I don't know whether you guys have read that yet um, by Eta Frum, but uh, me and Flo listened to the Q&A with her and I found some really like strong parallels. So she was talking about how a lot of people have read that and assumed that Islam is responsible for kind of making women subservient. And that's not the case at all. It's the Arab culture um, in certain areas that does that. Um, and actually the Quran promotes um, women, women's equality. And I found that the same with the Testaments because they don't want women to read the Bible because it isn't the Bible that's saying that women should be subservient. And it touches on that when it says that the aunts, when they're in training, 
can't read the Bible and certain parts until their mind is strong enough, yeah. which essentially mm-hmm. means they've been brainwashed enough yep. to not read too far into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Emma, I wrote down A Woman Is No Man, and I also wrote down about I Am Malala because I read I Am Malala at the beginning of um, the month. And obviously the story of Malala is that she stood up for women's education and got shot by the Taliban. And I think having read that so recently and then again reading the Testaments where, yeah, they are being stripped of their knowledge and their power really like brought to fruition like how far away we still are for for women to have rights throughout the world um and it's so easy for us especially like in the west in the western world for us to just like take a step back and think that it doesn't relate to us in the slightest however we are reading a book that is set in the us um and it really yeah it really just made me take a step back thinking whoa this like this could be a world that we could be living in if we're not careful and if we don't take a stand for these sorts of things so it definitely hit a place that I wasn't expecting it to but I think it was important that it did that yeah I can't remember the exact quote but there's a moment where she talks about them kind of obviously the the babies that are born in Gilead that whole idea of that there being generations not very far off who won't have any comparison to the outside world Mm. that happens so quickly people you can have three generations within 40 years 45 years that's not long for entire memories and kind of understandings to just be wiped out um it's really scary um yeah no knowledge of the past or of the outside Mm. world means that you can't compare it so what you know is what you think the world is um and that could so very easily happen anywhere it's really scary i mean you think of it in kind of cult communities that those children yeah. that are born into cult communities who who don't go to traditional schools and who don't have technology and who don't have friends outside of that community, they don't know anything different. So they're easily kind of moulded into subservient members of that same community from birth. Yeah. It's petrifying. And that's exactly what happens in A Woman Is No Man, that um, Israel, who's the mother who's born in Palestine doesn't even think about going to school that's what her brothers do that's not something she's allowed to do and you know she doesn't even question that but then when she gets married and she moves to the US her husband's sister is slightly younger and she's at school and she's saying how she wants to go to college so our university and her mother's just like absolutely not that's just out of the question but because she's grown up in the US she's seen all these other women doing it so what what is that cultural difference yeah I was just wondering, like, with you uh, relating to cults, do you reckon that's kind of how how did Gilead come about? Because that was one of the things that I was left unanswered in in a way. Just like how how does that begin? Just like do do a group of blokes get around a table and be like, right, okay, we're we're just taking taking it over. Let's make sure that the women can't get their money and yeah they didn't like she didn't really answer that did she no because no. that's what i want to know i want to know what to look out for <laughs> i don't know whether you guys have watched the handmaid's tale yet no but that, yet. okay so, so it's kind of addressed in that which margaret okay. atwood was involved with so i think it stays pretty true to her kind of thoughts okay. on what would have happened so in I the novel Right. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. So yeah, definitely okay. say get on that now. We've read both books. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was waiting for. And yeah. then when I saw something the other day about season five, and I turned to my boyfriend and was like, my God, I've got four seasons to catch up on. I haven't got time for that. <laughs> Thought it was only two seasons. Does, does the Testaments get touched upon? Is the Testaments in? No. No, so up to season four, it's kind of The Handmaid's Tale. I think they yeah. do go, they add bits. But um, yeah, none of the testaments were not at that part yet. Okay. Okay. But is it going to get to that part? I hope so. I hope it just never stops and we always have The Handmaid's Tale to watch throughout my (laughs) lifetime. (laughs) I agree. Um, Okay. Cool. I'm I'm definitely going to watch it now. Yeah, same. Um, Yeah, same. I'm really excited to watch it. I'm, I right, think even cool. more so now that you've just said that about how that would kind of give us an an answer as to where that started. And when you see it, Make sure you message me because okay. I need that reaction. <laughs> Can we have a viewing party and all watch it together? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do what's least favourite character as we've done favourite? Mine. 
I'll go because I don't mind being mean. <laughs> My least favourite character was Nicole, but I don't know whether it was the writing style that just made me not connect with her. And this is in no way an, a dig at Margaret Atwood's writing because I think she's great, but she's very obviously an older woman and I don't know that she knows how to write from a teenage perspective. And I just thought she was a bit bratty and annoying and like reckless. Oh, I think I think there are a lot of teenage <laughs> girls that are bratty, annoying and reckless. <laughs> Never. So. I think I was we... probably a bratty teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, then maybe I was not supposed to like her. <laughs> so that's that's exactly what I put. So she was my least favourite yeah. as well. So. And I said, I think it was purposeful because it kind of shows her privilege. Like she grew up in Canada. She had all these freedoms and education. She's able to kind of do what she wants, wear what she wants. And she's got this freedom of what her life could be. She doesn't even have to think about it, but it's complete freedom to choose whatever she wants. And it's kind of, I think in the first world, you do get a bit bratty about stuff like that. So, but yeah, that's, I completely agree. That's exactly what I said. I didn't like it, but I think it was purposeful. Right, okay. Yeah. I thought she was very believable as a character, just knowing. Oh, I work. I work in. I work in schools. I'm not saying that I was a bratty, annoying teacher. <laughs> I'm a bratty, annoying adult. Um, but yeah, I think knowing some of the teenagers that I know and how they can be, uh, I thought it was a pretty accurate rendition. <laughs> I liked her. Oh, I've totally forgotten about Aunt Vidala or whatever her name was. She was the worst. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was awful. She was a good villain. And I also didn't like Agnes and Becca's friend, and I don't know how to say her name. Oh, my goodness. Every Shunamite. time I read Shunamite, her name, yeah. I read it differently. Yeah. Shunamite. She was a bit annoying as well. Like She was, yeah, she she was, was bratty. Annoying. Like yeah, it kind, I was like, she's also really anti-feminist because she's you know getting joy from being married to like a really old man just because he's got three Marthas. Couldn't understand it. Then <laughs> I was like, well, she has grown up in this. She hasn't seen the outside world, so I'll give her a bit of a break. Uh, there's plenty of annoying people, isn't there? But I, I, what about? Oh, uh, what was the awful one? Doctor Groves, Doctor What's His oh, Face? Yeah, I was gonna mention him. What horrific. Absolute word that I definitely shouldn't be saying on this song I'm going to say it. <laughs> Insert <laughs> <over> <laughs> <word> here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, he was a, a he rat the bag, wasn't he? And, and more. Yep. I don't um, think I hated any characters, but I hated him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, okay, fair enough. I've forgotten about him. One of the things that I really, really hated about the book, not a character, but one one of the things that I hated, the... um. Is it participation? The where they tear tear people up. Yeah. <laughs> like, can if you were a handmaid, like, would would you be able to do that? Yeah. Would you be able to like tear someone apart? I I know that you would. No hesitation. <laughs> yes. I really I really wouldn't. Like well, I just. Oh. I think if I'm thinking of myself now, no. But if I think of myself as being used as a breeding machine, mm-hmm. quite possibly. Maybe. I think yeah. I'd have a lot of anger and pent-up frustration. Yeah, Dr. Dr. What's-His-Face, the bad guy, absolutely could rip him to shreds. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he deserves a lot worse than just being ripped to shreds. I Pull think that's the easy way out for Fingernails him. off with tweezers. Yeah, we need oh, some <laughs> pure form of torture there for him, I personally think. Oh. I was also a bit confused with Becca's reaction. Like, he'd done it to her, so I was just a bit like, I don't know, I suppose it's difficult when it's, like, familial. Yeah, and it's that kind of brainwashing of abuse from such a a young age. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I struggled with that bit. I did feel really, like, I don't know how... And I don't know whether it's knowing how she ended up. I felt really sad at the end when we found out what happened to her I felt super sad because I feel like she was a true victim of the whole the whole thing she was a true victim from start to finish and I just felt for her um she was just broken entirely um yeah that made me really sad yeah I agree she was just one of those characters that just always seemed to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and she was actually like quite a likable sweet character and yeah yeah I I thought like maybe Margaret Atwood felt a bit sad that she kind of had to do that to make the plot work because there was that bit about when they 
get to the beach and then yeah. they can hear Becca and it's kind of like a spiritual thing. And I was like, that's weird because that to me didn't really fit with the rest of the book. Yeah. And that was the only thing I could think. I was like, maybe she was sad she had to kill her off. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because she couldn't Makes have, sense. with their escape, she had to be not there. But yeah. she was almost a sacrifice. She was the sacrificial lamb in that sense yeah. for them to be able to, to escape and kind of overthrow things. So I think that she was, she was definitely the saddest character. And yeah, yeah, it makes sense for Margaret Atwood to feel sad about that also. But she was the sacrificial lamb. Bless her. Another part that I didn't really think fitted, I didn't get, and didn't like. I haven't written anything on it, so I'll pass over to you, folks. I know you have, but I just didn't understand the crush on Garth. It was just, why? So unnecessary. Yeah. (laughs) I think we've got this whole book on the power of being a woman and strength of women coming together and then we have this weird crash that Nicole has on Garth which never evolves into anything and yeah Emma briefly mentioned it on her review um on her on her feed and I didn't mention it but it was just something that really I just when when I was reading I just thought what what is this point what is the point this has to come into something and it just never really it just didn't yeah and I just don't understand can anyone shed any light no. on why? I think he was... <laughs> the point? I can. I can. Okay. Um, so I think uh, I think it plays to, plays to the fact of her just being a regular teenager. I think that's what Margaret Atwood was trying to do in, in that. Just, like, teenage girls, you know, like guys <laughs> or girls, you know. Um, and I think that's probably what it was, just trying to add a little bit more of a sense of normality in an absolute shitstorm. Yeah, yeah, now you say that, I can kind of see it's like, you know, if you're in Gilead, you've got a lot more things to worry about than whether you actually like this person, because you're going to be forced to do some awful things. Whereas I suppose in the real world, as a teenager, that probably is all you care about. (laughs) Yeah, and also, if you're in a position where you're having to trust somebody and spend a lot of time with somebody and be really close with someone even if it's for a short period of time at that age you form that attachment so quickly um and uh, yeah I, th- I, I thought it was something that could happen so it didn't bother me in the slightest it didn't it didn't necessarily bother me I didn't love it I didn't hate it but I did have a picture of him in my mind's eye as um, Garth from Wayne's World which kind of ruined my visualisation <laughs> I just can't imagine anybody called Garth that doesn't look like Garth off of Wayne's World so <laughs> that kind of ruined I don't know any Garth yeah exactly he wasn't like the romantic kind of oh swoon because it's Garth off Wayne's World in my head <laughs> okay <laughs> I just feel like if you're going to introduce this romantic interest, you just keep it up because it just kind of yeah went nowhere. Fizzled out. I don't know. Yeah. Just like in in my uh, experience as a teenager, which is very many moons ago, <laughs> I definitely had so many crushes that just fizzled, fizzled out. So <laughs> I, don't know. I was still girls' school. They had absolutely <laughs> no idea that I liked them. So uh, yeah, I think for me it was very i i had an affinity with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but i know what you mean it felt like a bit of a, a weird aside so there you go that's your answer okay Thanks, on the subject of uh <laughs> of baby nicole question eight in the back of the book is um about baby nicole being a powerful icon inside and outside gilead what do you think she represents for the opposing sides does anyone have any thoughts on this yeah, so I said outside um, of Gilead, she's a symbol of freedom. And within, it was kind of like how the outside world is a threat. So you shouldn't want to leave, you should stay inside. Like, this this is an ideological place to live. It doesn't get better than this. Look at all these awful, illegal criminal acts that are done on the outside. Um, yeah, that, that's kind of it. That's what I wrote as well. Symbol of liberation to the outside. And... Uh symbol of evil inside the threat of the outside world um but then i also wrote that the kind of idea of her becoming this symbol rather than a human being (laughs) seemed kind of fitting of i don't know what mayday we're supposed to think is this great kind of these are the freedom fighters but they also took this human being and kind of stuck her on a on a cross almost and hailed her as this symbol of freedom um dehumanizing her and kind of making her 
not not really a person considering who she was as a person she wasn't allowed to be with her family she was kept away and protected and rightly so because they knew that they would try and find her but kind of she was free but not free she wasn't she didn't really she was the symbol of liberation but absolutely not liberated um which i thought was interesting because she thought that she thought that herself, didn't she? Because she'd written an essay on herself, unbeknownstly, unbeknownstly yeah. said that it was kind of like a human football, just being like yeah. a narrative being tossed from side to side. Yeah. I'm very loud. I, I was... more wine. I'm sorry if anybody can hear That's that. okay. You, you pour away, mate. You feel like you need it. Um, <laughs> the one thing I was wondering about um, Nicole was what were they actually wanting to do with her when they got her back to Gilead? Like, Commander Judd wanted to marry her, but then, like, nothing. Like, there was... Like, what was the point? I know. I thought the same, and then Commander Judd only liked young wives, so she'd probably get to about 30, and then what yeah, too happens old. next? Yeah, 30's pushing it, just... it. I reckon probably 20, and he'd have been yeah. done with her. <laughs> yeah, because well, yeah, wasn't... Should shouldn't my twenty four when he was trying to kill her off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was just about winning. It wasn't that they wanted to do anything particularly with her. It's yeah. that she'd been taken and they felt like she belonged to them. They wanted her back just to win. Mm. Yeah, and that's like you said, Hannah, about her being dehumanized. Like there was no point in her being back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just apart possession. from yeah. Yeah, we did it, guys. Trophy. A tr- it's a trophy, yeah. The, the epitome of trophy <laughs> wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was question number seven? Because my, my answer was just yes. No, oh, it was okay. a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> right. As they unite to fight for the right to control their own bodies, can the novel therefore be seen as a hymn to the power of women to have control over their own destinies? I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Um, oh, I've got really cute little notes, actually. Here's a sound bite. I bet you do. <laughs> bet you do. I, I said, um, I do think it's important to feel the sisterhood of women, which is, I feel it right now. Um, one lone voice, whilst very brave and important, hasn't the same power as a chorus of voices of people agreeing, corroborating, or simply supporting each other. So, yes, I think it's a hymn, a hymn to the power of women. I completely agree. And it's like Emma said earlier, like with the Me Too movement, one woman comes forward, no one says anything. And then you come as a force Mm -hmm. and yeah, everything as, yeah, strength in numbers, especially when it comes to the power of women. So, yeah, yes. One of the, one of the quotes that I was livid by was, um, it was always a cruelty to promise women equality since by their nature they can never achieve it. I just felt like a bubbling of anger and I found it irritating that no one... I think it may have just been a conversation with Aunt Lydia. So obviously she couldn't say anything, especially the point in the story she was at. But I feel like if there were, you know, five women in the room and they'd all said it, it would have made a difference as compared to just one. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... I highlighted that quote also because it made me really angry. It's yeah. that idea that kind of keeping women down and telling them that they can't get equality is, yeah, really, really annoying. <laughs> the power of the female voice against the power of the male ego, I think, is something which has been kind of undervalued in the past, mm-hmm. but that so many people coming together and supporting each other, can't. it can only be a positive thing. Um so yeah I got a real feeling of sisterhood not just the obviously it touches in that question about that there was actual sisters but the feeling of sisterhood and things being achieved by women together I think was was a really important message um that reminder that as long as we want there to be change we keep fighting for it and we keep speaking truths then we might also be able to topple our little patriarchy that's that's here right now absolutely yes little fist in the air um, <laughs> sorry to to be like the aunt lydia <laughs> person can we keep uh, rihanna out <laughs> yeah i mean i'm editing it so no <laughs> <laughs> 
But the Aunt Lydia advocate over here is just saying, didn't Aunt Lydia engineer that particular sisterhood as well? So we have to give her credit for that. I for being will concede. The... Ah, A grace. Yes. <laughs> goodness me right we can end there <laughs> don't dare record I, that and use it in any I other argument <laughs> that's gonna be the sound just... clip now isn't it <laughs> yes, i will concede that's insane that's literally 32 before. years i don't think i've ever said that <laughs> well my life is complete <laughs> yeah no you're right that they couldn't they wouldn't have found each other nicole didn't even know who she was she had no idea they would not have found each other had it not been for aunt lydia kind of orchestrating that and pulling the strings but um i do think that she could have gone about it in a nicer way for the 15 years previously (laughs) okay she was playing the real long game (laughs) (laughs) we've touched on all of them apart from the last which is quite a nice one to end on yeah i agree what was the overriding emotion you felt as you read the book's final pages i think for me i felt i don't know if this this isn't really an emotion but i i just felt like i i still wanted to know more (laughs) okay (laughs) that's not an emotion is it um longing that's an emotion i was longing okay um yeah i think it just ignited a lot of questions like even more questions throughout it than than answers in a way i don't know like it's meant to be a sequel that answers (laughs) answers but there's still loads of stuff that i was just like wanting to know more about um i think mine were vindication and relief I was like, yes, they've done it. They're toppling the regime. It's happening. And I was really relieved when they got to that beach because the whole Mm. time from them leaving Ardour Hall to get into that beach, I was like, oh my God, what is going to happen? And it took a lot of willpower for me not to read ahead. And then I think the last but one day, I was like, nope, got to finish it. (laughs) Can't wait. It all really happens like super quick at the end, doesn't it? I was... I thought that the 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 mission would definitely take longer than it did. Yeah. And then it was all like I wrote the word hectic. Yeah, it yeah. was hectic. I felt, it felt like I've been on a run and like yeah. a really quick one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I I Jeff, I felt yeah. like oh my god this is like constant and then I think it was the kind of different names that, and I was like oh I don't know who I'm speaking to and I don't know who's this and who's this voice and now we've got Becca's voice from the sky. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hectic was the word that I used for that last little bit. But I guess that makes you feel how they felt that kind of panic and and just want for it to be over and safe. Yeah. I agree hectic and relief definitely but ultimately for me which is just like the overarching theme logic from this whole book was that of hope and that's what i wrote in my review um so yeah hope there's nothing i don't really think i have anything else to add to that that was mine overriding emotion of hope the power yeah, of yeah. the voices of women when they're believed to be able to change change the world and change the way things are seen and the way that stories are told I can't remember what book it was that we'd read that um, somebody had spoken about how it's women who are the storytellers in in most cultures. Women are the ones who tell those stories down from generation to generation. Um, and that power that we have as women to be able to change the narrative, I think is just an incredible power that we should be using. And yeah, I'm just, I felt really hopeful for it, particularly in light of the things that have happened in the last few years. I think it's... It can only be one of hope for change. So yeah, I felt it was a really positive read in the end. Thanks to Aunt Lydia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I feel like Uh, I'm definitely all blowing the the microphones then. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Any final thoughts and feelings or is that it? That's it from me. I feel vindicated okay. that we've given it a full hour because definitely we needed to give it a full hour. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah. Couldn't have done it in just ten minutes. <laughs> Can you imagine no. how fast you'd have had to talk oh, to get all through of it in all 10 of minutes. my little feminist points? I wouldn't have breathed. <laughs> there would have been steam like, coming out of your on? ears. <laughs> I I would have just shouted "women" twelve times. <laughs> That's it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. That would have got the point across, I guess. So. Girl power. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, hopefully, ho- hopefully all of that worked, and we've recorded everybody, and you actually get to hear this as a listener. So. There yeah. we go. And can I just say massive thank you to Emma and Flo for being our first guests? Because this yeah, is like, it feels like pigs. a really big step for us to be like, not just us two talking at each other with our own opinions. It does feel like <laughs> a big deal. So thank you so much for taking the time and chatting to us. Thank you oh, so I much think for trusting us. <laughs> yeah, I think we feel the same. Like, we're just yeah. really happy to be the first guests. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, me and Emma were just voice noting all day, like for the past couple of days, actually been like fangirling about us being on here, but also so nervous and excited. So yeah, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you very much. Uh, in which case, we'll speak at you later. <laughs> uh, sooner than normal, because, well, depending on when I edit this, it'll come at you at some point. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. In a few days, maybe. In a, in, a, in a few days. But when people are listening, it'll be actually now. So that doesn't make any sense at all. Start way more awkward than normal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to Two Girls, One Book podcast. If you like what you've heard, we would love for you to like, follow, rate, subscribe. In fact, just all all that good stuff, please, would be fantastic. You can also find us on Instagram at Two Girls One Book Pod, so come and follow us over there as well. Happy reading and join us next time.